Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You've heard me talk about how therapy has been an absolute life changer for me, like legit don't know where I'd be without it. Today's guest tells us about how it's benefited her too. So if you're on the hunt for a therapy partner, you need to check out BetterHelp. It offers virtual services, assesses your personalized needs, and matches you with a licensed professional therapist that you can start talking to within 48 hours. And it's even more affordable than traditional counseling. Speaking of affordability, they're allowing me to gift you with 10% off of your first month because I love you and I want to see you get the help that you need. They really make it so simple. So go check out betterhelp.com slash SSFYL. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash SSFYL. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Welcome to So Sorry for Your Loss. This is not your average grief group. I'm Gianna Demedio. Thanks for joining me as we normalize the conversation around grief with the stories of those who've gone through it, a whole lot of humor, and a pinch of celebrity and entertainment news. Because fun fact, they grieve too. There's more to grief than that godforsaken dove flying over a willow tree on a sympathy card. I know you've seen it and know what I mean. Let's change the way society looks at it. Visit SSFYLpodcast.com for more. All right, Joanna Gossett is here with us today and talk about grief. My goodness, she has been through it with multiple losses in her family and good friends with lots of issues in her own health and sitting in front of me today looking beautiful and healthy, celebrating the recent arrival of her second baby boy and just smiling at me, which I love. So she's going to tell us how she's really gotten through so much in her life and the take takeaways that she has to help her continue to living fully. So Joanna, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you, Gianna, for having me. I'm, I'm super excited and um, anxious to, to share with your listeners how they can learn from my experiences, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing for everybody to know too, is that learning is so much a part of the grief journey. I think it's really difficult to understand that. And I've talked about that a lot when you're in this acute phase of something, it's like, how is anything positive going to come from this? But it it really is possible. So first I want you to give us a little and it's probably not little because I know you've we've talked about this. You've been through a lot. And I'll say this now and I'll definitely link to it in the show notes. But Joanna has a wonderful blog where you can go and learn more about all of the things that she'll talk about today. But give us a recap. You know, when someone wants to know about your life and the the grief and the tragedies that you've been through, what do you hit on the most? Most of my losses have been pretty long ago at this point. I'm 34 and I lost my mom. She was my first loss um, when I was 14 in, in high school. And, and then that was to ovarian cancer. Mm. And then about two years later, I had like back to back, boom, 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 multiple losses. Um, the caregiver, like our nanny, so to speak, that kind of stepped in to take care of me and my family, um, my siblings. Yeah. Um, she committed suicide. Um, and then a good friend of mine who we were actually set to go to prom together, um, a week before that he killed himself and that was in high school as well. A week before the nanny. Um, no, a week, a a week week before before prom. prom. Okay. But still, I mean, that was a relatively short time to go through two deaths by suicide. Yeah. I want January and then May of the same year. Yeah. 
That, you know, that was crazy. And my first experiences in any way, shape or form was suicide touching my life. Mm -hmm. And then in July of that year, I lost my brother after about a year battle with leukemia. Oh my gosh. So it starts with your mom at 14 and then the, the others were 16 and 17 you were? Yep. And these are all very formative years of your life. I mean, I've I, when I've talked with people that have had losses during this time, there are, there are generally a few types of responses. One of them saying, I didn't really take it that seriously because I had so much other else things going on. Like I was worried about my friends. I didn't really understand the, the brevity of what had just happened to me. And then I've heard others say like, oh, I went into the deepest, darkest depression and I didn't know how to get out of it because like my entire world had ended. So how did these losses affect you and I imagine having one right after the other was just like did 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 you feel this enormous like tsunami take over your life yes and no and that's a really good question and perspective because you're so right in in how people experience these type of things at that formidable age like you said um and I would say the the loss of my mom we saw it coming we mm -hmm. knew it was happening you know mm -hmm. the last month or two she didn't even communicate like she was on a feeding tube and then they even cut that off a few weeks before she died like we knew it was coming so in a lot of ways that was almost like an easier so to speak loss yeah. than like the suicides because they were so sudden and especially like chris our caregiver nobody like saw it coming before yeah. the fact yeah so I think that makes such a difference in how you experience your grief and process things, whether you were kind of prepared for it or not. Absolutely. And, and I've said, I don't think it's, and, and you and I had actually talked about this offline about like comparing grief. Yes. It's, it's, it's not a good thing to do, but everybody kind of does it silently. And, you know, whether you feel this guilt on yourself of like, oh, I, I can't really feel this way. You know, I'm even doing it now. I'm like, oh my God. What am I sitting here whining about? Like I lost a few people, like listen to all the, the people that she's lost and, and the, the time frame of her, like at least I had my mom for this, the, like these things or my dad for right. whatever. But it's it's not fair to do because of there are different situations and different perspectives for, for everyone. So <laughs> my point of all of this is it's not that it's ever easier. I think it's just different when you do have an awareness that a death is going to be coming. I think that a lot of your 100%. grief is done up front. So it's still grieving, but I think sometimes people don't start it until when the person technically passes. And yeah. how I felt with my dad's sudden death, and as you may have with the sudden death of Chris and your brother, that you just don't even know where to start. There, You're picking up so many pieces of things that were basically just blown to bits completely and and i mean and i definitely those next couple of years i was messed up you know like just very depressed anxious i was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol um i mean my freshman year of college i smoked weed every day all day um my sophomore and junior year like i could well my junior year i didn't even have a roommate who wanted to live with me because i was just such a mess really and I mean, I was drinking to the point of like peeing myself regularly. Wow. Um, but somehow I managed to keep good grades. Yeah, <laughs> I good for you. That's an accomplishment. Class, number one major. <laughs> wow, good for you. Yeah, but what was um, what was your major? Uh, sociology, and I had a minor in psych and addictions of all things. Oh, geez. Okay. You so you really took studying, yeah. uh, or really took uh, trying to know that major to a I whole guess, new level. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, therapy 
made such a huge difference. I mean, I've been in counseling since I was 10, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I really didn't take it seriously or really get a lot out of it until I self-initiated and said, I want to go see somebody. And that was in college. What was Um, that? What was that reason for you? What was the trigger to say, I got to really do this now? Um, I mean, I think seeing that my personal life was like the whole, nobody really wanted to live with me, you know, and like some poor situations I was getting myself in under the influence and just feeling crappy and like, just, you know, just that like depression um, and not wanting to be in that forever, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm interested too in what it was like, because in your blog, you talk about Chris, the, the nanny and the caretaker that your family had, and how she really came into your life at such a, a perfect time right after your mom's passing. And she yes. kind of, you know, not, no one ever replaces a mother, but she picked up where your mom left off and took care of things in the home and for the children um, that, that the family really needed at the time. Did, did you feel like you were losing a second mother? Did you feel like you were going through this all over again? Not really, because I saw Chris as more of a friend than a mother figure. Okay. Um, I mean, she was a maternal figure, but she definitely, she was super fun and she tried to like relate to us. And my mom was very uh, strict, very Catholic, very like traditional. So she came in with a whole different vibe than your mom. Absolutely. Like I could have conversations with Chris I never would have had with my mom. Okay. because my mom was my mom and I'm a 13, 14 year old girl. You know what I mean? Right. So it was more like losing a good friend. And I felt definitely a lot of anger after Chris's death. Like, how could you do this to us? Like, you know what we've been through. And I mean, it was hard. It was really, 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 really hard. And having these two losses lead up to the loss of your brother too, that of Chris and your friend, and then your brother was only a few months after. I mean, did that make you really face his loss and think about it? Like, like we're talking about doing the grieving before for somebody that we, that we know is sick. Like, did you kind of feel like I can't even let my head go there that I'm about to lose my brother? Or did it make you say, Hey, I want to spend this time with him that I can. I want to say the things to him that I can. I want to be with him and be supportive because I see like, again, how much grief really takes a toll on everybody in a family. So it was definitely more the former. Like, I just thought that any good loving God, because I'd been raised very, like, in the church and everything, that, like, there is no way a good God could let another person in our family die. Yeah. So I definitely did not think that he was going to die until, like, really close to the end. Because we were just so hopeful. He was really positive. Um, he actually, he went to Villanova of all places. That's oh, kind really? of near you. Yeah. And, um, he had went through a bone marrow transplant and it actually had worked and like his cells were reproducing the right way that they should be. But then he had some complications and got an infection in his lungs. And that's ultimately what killed him. Not really the leukemia itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was kind of like, he was doing pretty well things were looking up, you know, and again, we were just very positive about the whole thing. And then it was a a period of just a few weeks of where it was like, oh my goodness, I I think he is going to die. I want to hit on what you said about how no good God would let this happen. And that is something that I struggle with that a lot of people that I talk to about grief struggle with. 
it's like you wish there was almost like each family or each group of friends or whatever have you is given a certain number of chips. And once they're used up and once the they've had enough grief in their life, however much that is, they don't need to experience it again. And, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that, that be, be a lovely. beautiful world? Right? Right. Yeah. And it's just not that way. And how is it? Because I feel this. Like, how do you get through every day not waiting for that other shoe to drop or not thinking? Like, I try really hard to not worry about the absolute worst happening to my mom. You know, every time she gets into a car, every time she gets onto a plane, I try not to tell myself that the worst is going to happen because I just couldn't, I can't live my life like that. But, you know, for you, there were several members of your immediate family. So what are, what are, I mean, and it's the same thing. I mean, I, it took me a long time. I mean, really probably just in the last five years, I've really started to like embrace life more and be like, I can't live like that because mm-hmm. I have been like scared, you know, kind of living in fear, like, oh my God, what if this is taken away from me, you know, yeah. but that's so debilitating and it, it gives you so much anxiety and in just all the self work that I've done over the last 10 years, really, I've realized that, like, that's not helping me in any way to worry. It, it, it gets us nowhere and it only gets us feeling worse. I just try to continually remind myself that and that try to live each day and soak in all the moments, you know, mm-hmm. and really, and I, and one thing about grief, and I talk about this all the time when I'm talking about grief is you do experience joy so much more when you've been through hard stuff. Yeah. You know, I feel like I just, I love every moment so much more like with my kids and just life in general, like yeah. the little moments I'm just like so grateful for because, yeah. and I think it's because I've experienced you've loss. You've been you know? really down. Yeah. The, the, yeah. right. The up can feel higher when you've been really down. We talk about that with my wedding. I mean, my, I, I lost my, my dad and my husband lost his mom in a matter of 16 months. And then we got married, um, I guess like it was even six months after that. Mm-hmm. And we said both sides of the family were just so ready to celebrate and have something. Fun. Yeah, yes. yeah. And mm-hmm. it really was. It was a, a massive, massive celebration. Everybody was just ready for something good. And and I, I so understand and definitely feel what you're saying. And like, same thing, like even the birth of my daughter was just, not that the birth of my child wouldn't be exciting, but it just meant something else. And, and for me, it's, I've talked a lot about, like I almost felt like I was bringing our parents back to have this little being that was part of them, part of their DNA, you know? Absolutely. I know it's been a journey for you uh, to to have your two children. Do you, first of all, you know, if, if you want to touch on that, talk about that a little bit, but then also, do you feel that way with your children? Yeah, I mean, motherhood, just in general, I'm definitely, of course, you're going to miss your mom more once yeah. you become a mom. Yeah. Um. So I would say that has been definitely hard, you know, the last couple of years. My oldest is 21 months and my youngest is, uh, as you mentioned earlier, six weeks old. And um, just not having that person to call and have childcare like at the ready, yeah. you know, um, to take care of my 21 month old when we're going in the hospital and just kind of walking through those times when most people have their mom, right. you know, has, definitely has been rough, you know, and it's tough. 
um, to like mourn the loss of what you didn't have, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of things in parenthood that all of a sudden make you realize what you don't have with a with when you've lost a parent, I think. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't apparent before, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. like, it's often like you, what's the saying? Um, you don't know what, no, you don't know what you're missing kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I didn't know what I was missing because right. I've never experienced like a adult relationship with my mom. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what I'm missing, Yeah, you know? And, and with the birth, we, we actually, my husband and I had two miscarriages too, before we conceived our, our first son. And that was hard too, just like the excitement and the anticipation and then kind of the grief again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I know so many people struggle with infertility or can't get pregnant or once they do become pregnant, they are miscarrying multiple Mm -hmm. times or it's taking them forever. And I just, my heart goes out to all those folks because I have a lot of friends that are struggling with that. And it's tough. It's a lonely, lonely struggle and road. Yeah. It's one of those things. I don't know if you feel this way. I I didn't know how common it was until I became a woman of the childbearing age. Nobody prepares you for this, I don't think. I mean, you knew that it was out there and that it was a possibility, but not to the extent, I think, that it's a reality. I'm with you 100%. Like, you don't ever, I don't, no one does prepare you. And Mm -hmm. you don't get pregnant thinking, I'm going to lose this baby. It's just not... It's not how our brains work um, until you've been through it. And then you, when you get pregnant after you've had a miscarriage, then your whole pregnancy is like foreshadowed or overshadowed by this anxiety of, am I going to lose this baby? Can we get further? And it really takes a lot of the joy out of it. Yeah. Um, and I have some friends now that are pregnant after loss and they're experiencing that exact same thing. Just the anxiousness and the like, can we get to the next milestone, yeah. you know? And it is harder. It, it does make it more difficult to like soak in the joy that and the amazing miracle that pregnancy is, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of a, an illustration of what we talked about a little bit before is that the effects of grief are not just on that person you lost or that specific loss that you go through, but they carry on to other things in life. So the anxiety of then, okay, well, what's going to happen with my next child or what's going to happen with my next pregnancy spills over. And like we were just talking about then, like, how do you, you know, not worry about every move that your dad and my mom makes when you have already gone through losing one parent. So it's, it's, it's not just a, okay, I'm going to grieve this person and then it's going to be over. You know, there is no over. It keeps going and it spills over into to other areas of your life. So you've had some health issues yourself along the way. Um, I can't pronounce it, so you're going to have to. (laughs) You're too funny. Trichotillomania. So yeah, it's called trick for short, but it's a hair pulling disorder. And it's funny, I got diagnosed when I was 10 and it was actually before all my losses, Mm -hmm. I started pulling out my hair. Um, And it's often comes on after a traumatic event. So I think for me, that traumatic event was a move. My family... We were living in rural Southern West Virginia and my mom was a doctor and was offered an opportunity back here in Pennsylvania and our family decided to relocate. And for me, it was like, it shattered my world. I felt like my parents hated me and that it was the worst thing ever. Mm. I'm looking back now. I'm like, thank God I didn't end up growing up where I was raised, (laughs) you know, early on because 
yeah, it was so remote, but yeah. So I think that was a, a trigger for me. So I started pulling out my hair and it started with my eyelashes and then, or my eyebrows, and then it moved to my eyelashes and I eventually had no eyebrows and no eyelashes. Oh I would cancel them on before school. This is like fifth grade, you know, and those are those years where the girls are so catty to begin yeah. with. And, it, and then I moved on to my head hair and, um, was it always pretty consistent or did you see it get worse in times of extreme stress? It definitely got worse in times of stress. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was something that I did it for so long. I, I mean, I did it for 13 years and by the last, I mean, really just a couple years in, I felt like I was like, I'm going to have this forever. It is who I am and it's whatever. Like I didn't really have any motivation to really stop. Really? for a long time. What was the point that made you want to stop? So I met my now husband in 2009 and he was, he's such a positive person. Like it makes you sick, kind of the positivity, (laughs) you know, like sometimes you're like, I just want to wallow in misery a little bit. And it's like, that's not an option with him. Um, and I mean, he accepted me. I was bald, like very bald when I met him. I mean, I had hair, but not much of it. And I wore a wig. And so like the night Are you we wearing met, a wig I had now? a wig on. You're- no, no, this is my real hair. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's like long, luscious and beautiful. This is crazy. It, it, is. it is crazy. Um, I still have, I have like a, get, a gray, like skunk stripe. I don't know if you can see it, but um, that I, that I have from damage. I think it's literally like one stripe. that's like uh-huh. gray. Um, but I'm fortunate that my hair follicles weren't like our bodies are amazing that my yeah. hair follicles weren't so damaged after 13 years of repeatedly pulling them out that right. they continue to grow and it is beautiful. But yeah, so I met him and I mean, he was super accepting and everything, but he really helped me kind of see a new perspective that like, you don't have to let this like control you and you don't have to just like be the girl, the ball girl, like you have control over yourself and mm-hmm your impulses. And he was just like, kind of like an encouragement for me. But the biggest thing was I didn't want to get married wearing a wig. Mm. So I started doing a lot of visualization and almost like meditation on like what I wanted to look like on my wedding Is that something you learned in therapy? That sounds like a very therapy type of thing. It does sound, and you know what? Not, not really. I think I learned it from like, not a podcast, but a, like a speaker or something at some point, you know, like a motivational speaker or something. And you had said earlier Um, in the interview that you, or earlier in our talk that you did a lot of self work to help get you to a really good place. So were you able to say, okay, there's some things I need to work on here. Let me try to research them myself. In addition to going to therapy, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, like, what was your path to this life that you have now, because again, you're, you're sitting in front of me. Like, I, I feel like you're talking about somebody else because you seem so happy and you never know what somebody feels, but you're just giving off like such a different vibe than the person that you're talking about. It's so true. And I mean, I, I keep in touch with a good number of high school friends, but the majority of high school friends, like if they knew me now, like we're, I'm a completely different person than I was back during these years, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a lot of therapy, but yes, in conjunction with reading a lot of books, 
um, just kind of like self-help type books. Um, one great one is Dale Carnegie. It's like a really old school book by Dale Carnegie called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. And hey, we're not getting sponsored for this or anything, but it's a great, I mean, it's a great book. And it just gave yeah, me Yeah, I'll link a to it in like, the show notes. Yeah, definitely do. Um, a lot of just strategies that are like, when you read it, you're kind of like, that's so simple, but they like mm -hmm. really worked, you know? Yeah. Like when you're having anxiety and worrying about something, write down like, what are the actual worst case scenarios, you know? Yeah. And what is the actual likelihood that that's going to happen? Because mm -hmm. most times we're worrying about stuff that doesn't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that, and really just the positive thinking, absolutely, I attribute to my now husband. Mm -hmm. He was just, you don't have to see the world glass half empty. And that's like the kind of person I am. I mean, I'm like negative by nature. Yeah. But <laughs> me too. I, I used to joke, I'm like, my glass isn't half empty. There's barely anything in my glass. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it takes a lot of, I mean, it takes work. You have to retrain your brain yeah, to look definitely. at the positive. Mm -hmm. And there really is positive in every situation. And you can't always see it at the time. Yeah. But you have to try, you know, and you do see it later on. I mean, there is not one thing that I've been through or trauma that I can't look back at now and say, like, there was something good that either came out of it or that, like, it taught me. I love hearing that. I love hearing that. I remember I um, have you ever heard of the dinner party. The it's no. a it's a national grief organization. I love 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 it. Um, okay. And I was on this was during COVID, so I was in a, uh, normally we would do them in person, but it was a virtual meeting, and we it's just kind of like an easy conversation. People go around just will talk about what they're going through with their grief or you know, just facilitate conversation in different ways. And a friend of mine who had just lost her mom, I brought to the group for the first time. And cool. I kind of wanted her to see there can be life after this, you know, very much with what I'm doing with this podcast. And I, and I asked everybody, what's something positive that you can say came from your grief? And like the overwhelming silence that happened on that call, people were like, are you fucking crazy? What do you mean something positive <laughs> that came from my grief? And I was like, okay, I'll go first. <laughs> and I, I just it. started saying, you know, like, hey, I think I got really close with these family members and I'm able to actually understand my dad in a totally different way than I did when he was here. And for me sharing that, people started going around and opening up. And this one girl said, like, when you first asked this question, I was like, uh, nothing. There's nothing positive that came. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And she's like, and now sitting here hearing everybody's responses, like, I'm actually able to to look at it and see that there were some some good things that, that came from this. And I think that's just something that, like, our brain just tells us it's not possible. It's not it's not possible yeah. to have good and bad at the same time. And death is clearly bad, so there can be no good here, too. Right, right. Well, and one thing that I do to combat that, and it's another practice that, like, really helped me just, like, get to the place that I am now, is just, like, daily gratitude. Mm -hmm. And again, it's something that sounds so simple, but I will journal every day although it's been a little bit sketchy with two kids you now. have a six week old you are excused <laughs> fair enough um but talk but, about that a little bit what is that what does that look like for you do you do it first thing in the morning is it at night is it every day or you try to hit certain days a week like what is your template for success with that yeah so 
Um, I mean, it used to be anyway, before two children, it used to be first thing in the morning, like a little bit of quiet time by myself. Um, and I would just like sit in thought kind of, and meditate on what I'm grateful for. Just think about like, what am I grateful for today? And it's simple things sometimes like I, last a couple days ago I was like my backyard I'm so happy to have a backyard that's mm -hmm. like fenced in and that it sounds kind of simple but like I'm so blessed to have a backyard to that my kids can play in and I can like leave my 21 month old yeah. outside for five minutes and he's gonna be fine you know and just like run off energy you um, say it sounds simple, but that I think is the whole point of gratitude is being thankful for the simple things. We yes, get so caught right. up in life of what we should, could, would, whatever it is, but you're so right. I mean, the simple thing of having a pillow to lay your head on when millions of people around this world don't. And we take that, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but you know, like we take that for such granted that that's even something that we have on the daily. And it, 100%. And, there are so many things that we can be upset about in our life, but if we take that moment in the morning to just say, hey, this is what I'm thankful for today. And if it's your backyard, it's your backyard. Like how blessed right. are you to have a beautiful backyard to be able to allow your children to go play? Like, and that's, that's a really nice thing. And another thing, you cannot be upset. You can't be worrying. You can't be fearful if you're grateful. You literally cannot have those two emotions at the same time. Hmm. You cannot be in a state of gratitude and be feeling anything else. Wow. So it's such a great You're like practice. fighting the fear with the gratitude. Yes, literally. And I fighting like the worry and the anxiety. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're thinking consciously focused, thinking about what you're grateful for, there's no room for any other thought. Yeah. Okay. I like so that. So it's a really good practice if you're feeling anxious and you're like, I want to pop a Xanax why don't you try gratitude first mm. and you know just sit there for five minutes and think about what you're grateful for and see if you feel any better ah okay i'm gonna put that into practice we'll do a checkup in a couple of weeks and i'll let you know but i like Sounds that good. i look forward to it i like that yeah um what are some other things that have been uh, really helpful for you that you've either learned in, in therapy or in this uh the research that you've done through self-work like this like messages that you can give to the audience um because I think that's uh, that is a very simple thing to be able to sit down and just write in your journal what you're what you're grateful for. I mean, one of the things that I love the most is music. Music is so helpful for me, yes. and again, it seems so stupid and like, oh, this isn't even going to do anything. I'm not even going to waste my time, but it really does. And I'll have to tell myself like, I may be in a complete rush and I may be anxious as hell, but for me to take the two minutes to slow down, find a good playlist on Spotify, and just totally change the mood of how I am at that moment is like so worth it in the long run. So what, what are some other things like that that you can share? Getting outside, that's a huge one for mm -hmm. me. I mean, mm -hmm. I live in South Carolina, so it's easy to go outside, you know, 365 days a year pretty much, but just going outside and taking a walk, getting some fresh air, a little bit of sunshine, or if it's cloudy, I lived in Pennsylvania for a long time and I know it's often cloudy. Yes, it is cloudy as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Just getting outside and a little bit of exercise and fresh air always makes a difference and kind of meditating on the nature, you know, as, as you take a walk too, you yeah. know, just the beauty around you because it is a beautiful place we live in. Yeah. What are some ways that you remember your mom and your brother now? And um, Chris and, and your friend. I mean, any, anything special yeah. that you do or uh, 
anything unique that you found over the years that helps you with your memory of them? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, we always try to sort of celebrate the, the, their birthdays, you yeah. know, um, in some sort of way, whether that's even just like cooking their favorite meal, you know, in my home. And on their death anniversary, I like to, I was talking to a friend about this the other day because she lost her sister um, about the same time I did. We went to high school together. And she said, I don't know what to tell my kids. Like, I don't want to call it a death anniversary, really. You know, what do we call it? And I say it's the day they move to heaven. Ooh. Obviously, like, I'm a believer in heaven. Yeah. But, and I know not everybody is, so that probably won't work for everyone. But I just say it's the day they move to heaven. So I've heard the the end of their physical life, you know, because they say, like, the spiritual mm-hmm. life moves on. But the day they move to heaven, that's, that's I like that, too. And I like that for, like, younger kids, too. Yeah. Like, I want to talk about that with my kids. And and my oldest, he's actually named after my brother. His middle name is Joshua. And my brother's name was Josh. So every time I say his name, I think of him, yeah. you know. And I just in small things, like, the other day I made pancakes with my oldest. Like, he helped me, you know, cook it up, uh, mix it up and everything. And that was one thing that I used to do with my mom. Like, we loved to make pancakes together. And it was just me and her. And, oh, my goodness, this sounds just like came in Sam's can't believe I'm saying it out loud. She would purposely like dribble like a little bit of the batter, like on the edges of the pan so that we would have like the little ones. Yes. Yeah. Well, like really tiny, like drops. Uh huh. And I call them crispies and I like loved them. And that was like our thing. Anyway, I made some pancakes the other day and accidentally made some crispies. And I was like, it just made me think about my mom. And I was, oh, that was no accident about it. That was no accident. Your mother made those crispies. Your mother said, Let's do this. Let's do that's that's adorable. That's a really nice one to be able to pass down. Yeah. That's yeah. cute. Keep doing that. You know, if it was an accident then, well now keep doing it on purpose and pass it along. There you go. Yeah. Yes, we will. We will. And then I know uh, the conversation has been so good. There's so much to talk about. I know we kind of moved on from your your trick journey, but you, do you feel is that something that you have to consciously think about and make sure that you don't or did you get to a place where like how does that work? Yeah, so not anymore. Um, I mean, and I mentioned the visualization, but I'll talk about it just a little bit more. I mean, I, I, I would really, I had a picture on my mirror of like the hairstyle that I wanted. Um, for your wedding day? Yeah, well, not even for my wedding day, just like in, in like everyday life, okay. like the cut, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I had a vision in my mind, again, like no wig on my wedding day. And I wore my hair up and I didn't wear a wig and it looked lovely. Really thinking about that and not only thinking about the image, but thinking about how I was going to feel. So once I'm not bald, I'm not going to be afraid to walk outside when it's raining. Because when I had trick and I walked outside and it's raining, my hair would clump together because that's what happens when your hair gets wet. And then all your bald spots would show, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be, I'm going to be able to go swimming again. You know, I'm going to be able to, I mean, this is back before my husband, but be in an intimate relationship or sleep over at someone's house and not have to wear a wig to bed, yeah. you know, just really thinking about what your daily life is going to be like once that problem has been solved. And Mm -hmm. you could do the same thing, like listeners can do the same thing with really any problem, like weight loss. Like how are you gonna feel? Yeah, I'm thinking about it now in terms of, gosh, I get so 
so overwhelmed all the time. And it's just, it's so like a slippery slope of I get overwhelmed and then I get anxious. And then, you know, so I, I, I can see the benefit of that method that you're talking about and saying like, if I don't feel this overwhelmed, I will be able to do X. And if I don't do this, like, so that's, that's a, that's a good way to, to go into that. Yeah. Yeah. This visualization thing. Mm-hmm. I am learning so much. I feel like my head is about to explode with all the things that I need to do to make this life better. I'm going to pop out of bed tomorrow like a damn new person. Yeah, I love it. That's the enthusiasm you need. Take action. Yes. So um, moving on real quick into our entertainment news before we bring this to a close. Um, yes. The, the trick that you mentioned is the trick trichotillomania. Is that how it is? Trichotillomania. Yeah, trichotillomania. So there apparently celebrities have been affected by this and some pretty big A-list names. I mean, it's not just something in the shadows. Olivia Munn has admitted to ripping out her eyelashes as well. Colin Farrell said he was a hair puller. He said, I used to pull all of my own hair out. And Paris Hilton, it was rumored that she had a bald spot on the crown of her head and hired professional hairstylists to cover up. And, you know, I don't know if that one's so true because I think that woman hires a professional hairstylist just to, like, go to her cabinets in the kitchen in the morning. (laughs) So who knows? That could have just been a rumor. And then I think there was some drama around Katy Perry with this. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, I, I do know that. And she cut her hair really short at one point, and I think it was because of it. Yeah, so in 2010, she admitted to suffering from trick. Um, but then I think there was something where she made comments about shaving her head that I think upset a lot of people in the community and saying that, you know, if you want to cut it short because it's bothering you, sure. But, you know, shaving the head, I think she may have had a, a negative connotation to it and people were upset about yeah. that. Um, another one who is in the news, what seems like almost every day now, is Megan Fox. I don't know if you follow her at all, but her new relationship with Machine Gun Kelly, they're like the new rock and roll superstars. Um, she was diagnosed with Trick and has actually been admitted to the hospital three times. I did hear that. I heard that, which is crazy. I mean, it must be pretty severe. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio has been found to have symptoms of OCD and some of which are the same that are correlated to Trick. So not necessarily confirmed, but people speculate. And Justin Timberlake diagnosed with Trick in 2008. Did you know about that one? I did know about Justin Timberlake. Yeah. Which is, it's just, it's wild when you think about, you know, these people, they're celebrities and you idolize them and- And you never know with most of them, really, you know, I, I'm sure. Did you know before our conversation today that any of these folks had this? No, I would have had no idea. Yeah. yeah. No idea. So it's, I mean, it's a very hidden disorder and that's another thing. I mean, they say that it, it affects one to 3% of the population, but the thought is that's probably way underreported because people are so ashamed of it. Yeah. Ashamed and you can or, wear, or don't even they care. Yeah. Or don't even know what it is that's causing that or like don't know that that's an actual thing disorder (laughs) a name a disorder yes thank you yes yeah Yeah. but these are some heavy hitters these are not just like d-list people these are some some heavy hitters in the entertainment world and for them to be going through this and i mean you you would gotta think we've like 
some very stressful, anxiety-inducing lives that they have or, or situations that they're in around their, their careers and the exposure to the public. And so I, I it can't makes imagine. sense. I mean, that would you know? be, yes. Yeah. I think it's, it it's a way to convey that grief and trauma can be physical. There is, for some reason, this, I don't know, stigma that mental health is not always real or it's made up or it's overreaction but things like the the trichotillomania or you know different anxiety factors things that the physical way that it can can come up in a person are real very very real it can absolutely stress and anxiety can absolutely manifest physically you're so right and i think it's same with like self other self-harm behaviors like cutting and burning uh i mean i was a sufferer of those types of behaviors too in my adolescence. And it, it released something in me and, and trick kind of did the same thing. Like it gives you some relief from your mental pain and like Mm. the emotional pain that you're going through. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, like the psychology of it, but it, it made you feel better to inflict pain on yourself, which it just doesn't make sense. I haven't heard it put that way, but that makes sense the way that you say it. Like, yeah, and it, it, oh my gosh, to hear it that way. Yes, the mental pain of grief and of losing somebody and the, of all the things that come with it is that bad that you want to inflict physical pain on yourself to feel better. I mean, think about that for a second. That is insane. It is, yeah. Ugh. Well, yeah, it defies all logic, and but. It's, it is, it's, it is how it is. It's weird. And I mean, and I think some of that too, like the self-harm behaviors is when you hate yourself for whatever reasons, like you also, it's almost like a punishment or like, you feel like I deserve this or I need Mm -hmm. to make yourself, I guess, kind of feel better again too, about like who you are. Well, you know, harming yourself. Of course. Yeah. Well, Joanna, you've come so far from the days of the self-harm or the hair pulling or the, the myriad of things that you have been through in your life. And I'm so grateful that you were here to share with us the ways that you've dealt with us. I mean, there were so many good methods and tactics that you shared that I am going to start immediately and writing down things that I'm grateful for in the morning. I so appreciate you being here. Anything, any final thoughts or anything that you want to, to share with our listeners before we go? I would just say you have power. You have power. You can control your behavior and your thoughts and what you put in your brain. So focus on what, what you want more of. That's what you should focus on. Love that. Thank, Thank you, you so Gianna. much. I really appreciate you having me. This has been a blast, if, if I could say that. About yes, that's what I like to hear. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. Thanks for listening. Head over to Instagram to follow more at So Sorry with Gianna. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave that five-star review. I would love you for it. More to come on this season of So Sorry for Your Loss. So stay tuned. <laughs>